Good morning. I am Bruce Chelta, pastor here at Powell Presbyterian Church, and again this morning uh, we will be meeting this way, and, and unfortunately the, the news uh, would lead us to believe that we will be meeting this way uh, for uh, some weeks now, but uh, it's a little tough uh, as we come up on Easter, as some of our Easter celebrations have been uh, canceled, and and many of our gatherings uh, will, uh, will take a, a different tone uh, if they happen at all. Uh, but we will be able to do this, and I'm glad uh, that you have joined me this morning as we do take a look at the Word of God. Uh, first things, I want to uh, uh, mention the suits. For those of you that are not familiar, uh, haven't been here to a Powell Presbyterian on Palm Sunday, I'll give you the quick story behind the suit. Uh, Gabe Hamilton, about four years ago, wore it as his Easter suit. And, uh, and he and I, at the time, were about the same size, but he grew taller and I stayed the same. Uh, and so he outgrew the suit. And so the Hamiltons asked, if they gave me the suit, would I wear it? which sounded a little bit like a challenge to me. So I had to say yes, and uh, they gave it to me for the last uh, three years now. Uh, it has been the uh, palm trees. I'm not going to walk up so you can see it clearly, but palm trees and flamingo suit, and I wear it uh, on Palm Sunday. So even though uh, we meet this way, I'm still going to keep the suit. If you're wondering about the T-shirt, uh, when I was asking my, one of my daughters last night what shirt I should wear uh, with this jacket, she said, you put on a jacket like that, there are no more rules of fashion, do whatever you want. So uh, it's not a Miami Vice throwback thing here, but since fashion doesn't apply with this uh, jacket, I went with the t-shirt. A couple of other things uh, before uh, we open the Bible. Uh, the giving, I've had a few questions about that even this week. Uh, and you can see on our website and on the Facebook page uh, how you can give. I will refer you to John. I know a lot of people are concerned uh, as far as, as how they can continue to give their tithes and offerings, uh, which is very impressive with everything going on. And, and so I thank you for that. Uh, if you have any questions, you can call me, uh, or as I mentioned, John, or check it out uh, on the website or on Facebook. Uh, the audio, uh, we, you can pass the word that the audio is still available on our website, on Spotify, on Google Play, on iTunes. Uh, we're trying to be able to get everybody to listen however they can. And also, we are working on, I've had many people... Uh, give me prayer requests, um, and it, it, I haven't been very good at being able to pass those along. We are working on a way uh, that we can get a, a prayer page going. And um, on the website? Okay, all right. So we've got something good. Check the website on that, and, uh, and we will get something. We've got something going there uh, so that we can keep each other up to date on prayers and how to pray. Uh, our Wednesday night prayer meeting, obviously, uh, they've been suspended. Uh, but we do want to keep praying for each other. So we are uh, continuing to work on that. We're continuing to try to uh, keep everybody involved as best we can 
and informed as uh, we move along. And so uh, we will uh, take a look at the word of God, but first, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is a lot going on in this world and a lot that we can be preoccupied with. Uh, we ask that you can use uh, even these means and this time uh, to glorify yourself and to speak to our hearts. So help us in this time to uh, put all the, the worries aside and to focus on you and those things that you would have us learn. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as far as our passage this morning, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Revelation chapter 19. Uh, Revelation 19, I'll be reading verses 6 through 16. Uh, once again, that's Revelation chapter 19, which seems somewhat odd for Palm Sunday. Now, we're not going to be getting into the end time things as we're at the, near the end of, of Revelation here. Uh, I will eventually get to the triumphal entry, uh, but as we go to Revelation, uh, we're not going to focus so much on what is happening and the different interpretations of, of what is happening here, but rather we're going to focus on the who. We're going to focus on Christ and Christ's kingship. And I will warn you as we look at this, there is so much more to be said about Christ as king than we'll be able to say in one morning. But I do want to take a look at some of those things that, uh, that are important uh, on this day and in this time. So Revelation chapter 19, I will begin at verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. 
From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The holy and inerrant word of God. Back in 1897, uh, Britain was celebrating uh, Queen Victoria's Diamond Jubilee. Uh, it celebrated her 60th year of, of reign, of her reign uh, over Britain, which was the most powerful nation uh, in the world at the time. And it was this time of, of national pride and, and celebration. And for the event, there was a poem written by Rudyard Kin, uh, Kipling, and it's called Recessional 1897. However, it wasn't all that well received. And the reason why is because in this poem, God was exalted over uh, this nation of, of Britain. In fact, uh, the nation was, was downplayed. Kipling said some things that weren't real nice uh, in the poem. Uh, it, it consisted of five stanzas. And the first begins with God of our fathers, beneath whose awful hand we hold dominion, is part of it. He, he, he understands and recognizes that it's only because of God that they have any power at all. And that first stanza ends, Lord God of hosts, be with us yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. The second stanza ends the same way. Lord God of hosts, be with us yet, lest we forget. Lest we forget. In the third stanza, uh, he writes these words, All our pomp of yesterday is one with Nineveh. Nineveh's never really spoken that well of in the Bible, but he writes, All our pomp of yesterday is one with Nineveh. And he ends that stanza, Judge of the nations, spare us yet lest we forget, lest we forget. In the fourth stanza, he writes about them being drunk with sight of power, wild tongues that have not thee in awe. They were boasting of themselves, but not of God. And he ends that stanza by saying, Lord God of hosts, be with us yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. And he ends in the fifth stanza, fifth stanza, with the words, for frantic boast and foolish word, thy mercy on thy people, Lord. Now what's interesting is Kipling was not particularly a religious man. And after uh, this poem, uh, he wasn't necessarily a popular man in uh, many circles in Britain. But he did hit on something quite important. It wasn't appreciated in all the self-congratulatory jubilee that was happening at the time, but he did hit on the fact that there is one king, and one king only, and he reigns over all. And nations going back as far as we can see in history, from Egypt to Babylon to Rome, that have boasted in their power, they've all fallen, but the true king still reigns. 
He always has, and he always will. And we see that as John writes here, this revelation that is given to him. He, he's on the island of Patmos and, and seeing these things that will be happening uh, to the future, in, in his future. And as he writes these things, we see in verses 6 and 7, uh, we see a multitude and all of creation praising God. And, and you notice that John, John can't even really describe the sound it's like the sound of many waters. It's like the sound of, of thunder. It's this multitude. You can't really even uh, describe it, but the message is unmistakable. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and give him glory. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, uh, reminds us that, and I quote, in all its constant stress on the reality of God's personal concern for his people, the Bible never lets us lose sight of his majesty and his unlimited dominion over all his creation. The psalmist in, 100, in Psalm 103, 19 writes, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. It's God's kingdom that rules over all. Christ, our king. But I do want to distinguish this morning between his kingship over his people or over the church, if you want to put it that way, over his, his chosen ones and his kingship over the entire universe. A couple different aspects that, that I want to look at. And I want to start with his kingship over his people. Christ's kingship over the church. It is a spiritual kingship. John 18, 36, when, when Jesus is before Pilate, and, and Pontius Pilate is, is questioning him, and Jesus tells him, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would be fighting for me, but it's not. This, this world is, is fleeting. My kingdom's not of this. It's a spiritual kingdom, and it's established in the hearts of believers. Louis Burkhoff uh, who I will quote actually a few times this morning. He has so many good things to say about Christ and his kingdom. And Burkhoff writes this, it is spiritual because it is administered not by force or external means, but by the word and the spirit, which is the spirit of truth and wisdom, of justice and holiness, of grace and mercy. And his kingship is grounded in the work of redemption. Or if I can put that in another way, in what he did on the cross. In dying for our sins, Burkhoff again writes this, Christ paid the ransom for those that are his and by his spirit applies to them the merits of his perfect sacrifice. Consequently, they now belong to him and recognize him as their Lord and King. 
And that's what John is writing about here as he talks about the, the marriage of the lamb and, and the bride. Jesus had implied that he is the bridegroom. He had mentioned that in Matthew and Mark and, and in Luke as well. He is the bridegroom. And Paul picks up on that idea, actually, in Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 25. It's in that section where he's talking about husbands loving your wives, but he writes this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, that she might be holy and without blemish. It's, it's many of the same ideas that John is writing about her, uh, about here in this passage, this church, this, this bride of Christ presenting itself in fine linen, bright and pure. And you notice even uh, where it talks about Jesus coming back uh, in, in glory. In verse 13, that his, his robe is, is dipped in blood, it said. When he, even when he comes in glory, it's, it's this, this, this kingdom grounded in, in his work of redemption. And Paul also ties the cross to Christ's kingship. In 2 Philippians, Paul writes this, Jesus, who, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, who, though he was in the form of God, made himself nothing, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. And you notice that therefore there. He humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And as we think about Christ's spiritual kingship that reigns in our hearts, as he reigns over those who are his, his church, his bride, if you will, there's a couple of, well, one point especially that I want us to consider, as we consider the, the nature of the current kingship, if you want to put it that way, John Kelvin picks up on it and writes, Christ's kingdom lies in the spirit, not in earthly pleasures or pomp. Hence, we must forsake the world if we are to share in the kingdom. Christ's kingdom is not of this world. He made that very clear to Pilate. John wrote earlier in, in 1 John chapter 2 that the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. With Christ as our king, we set our minds on the things of Christ. We submit to his kingship. 
We let his spirit and his word rule our hearts. In verse 9, the angel tells John, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus spoke in parables about the marriage supper. And he spoke of those who would prepare themselves for the marriage feast. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage feast. But also, we know this, that his kingdom is a kingdom that is both present and future. I mentioned the, the, the spiritual nature of his current kingship, but there is this future kingship coming as well. I'll refer to Burkhoff again. He writes, it is on the one hand a present ever developing spiritual reality in the hearts and lives of men, this, this kingship he talks about. And then he continues, essentially the future kingdom will consist like that of the present in the hearts of men, but at the glorious coming of Jesus Christ, this establishment and acknowledgement will be perfected. And the spiritual rule of Christ will find its consummation in a visible and majestic reign. And that's what John is alluding to in verses 11 through 16. When the king comes again, and the names we see given to Christ, he's called in verse 11, faithful and true. In verse 13, the word of God. In verse 16, king of kings and lord of lords. And there's this great imagery in this passage. We see his eyes like a flame of fire. And from his mouth, a sharp sword. And in verse 15, he, spe he merely speaks and nations fall just as he spoke and the world came into existence, the universe came into existence just by the power of his voice. And as he comes back, it's the power of his voice. And nations fall, for there really is only one nation. It's Christ. He is the one king. In verse 14, and the, you'll notice the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Here's the king of the universe riding in, who's, he's always been. In Psalm 74, the psalmist writes in verse 12, God, my king, is from of old. He's been from eternity past. God, my king, is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. And he will come again with the new sky, the new cosmos, new heavens, however you want to say that, new earth, the new Jerusalem, and all the world will see. And when we think back to Palm Sunday nearly 2,000 years ago now, the world got just, just a little glimpse of this king as he rode into Jerusalem that day. He didn't ride in 
on a white horse with the armies of heaven uh, riding along with him, though he could have. Instead, he rode into Jerusalem that day as the prophet Zechariah said he would. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, he prophesied, Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He rides in that day humble. And the people praised him, shouting out, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Blessed is the king. And when people tried to tell Jesus, get, get them to be quiet. Do you hear what they're saying? They're calling you God. Do you hear what they're doing? Jesus said they have to. If not, the very stones would cry out. For just a moment, the world had it right. It recognized the king, even though he came in so humbly on a donkey. That is the king of the universe. The one who humbled himself even to the point of going to the cross to bring us salvation. Pontius Pilate had no idea the words he was speaking. After he had questioned Jesus and really couldn't find anything to, with why he should crucify him, but the, the, the people kept calling out, crucify him, crucify him. And, and so Pilate finally uh, agreed to do that and he brought Jesus out and, and he meant it as a taunt, mocking the Jewish people. He brought Jesus out and he said, behold, your king. Knowing or not knowing the truth of those words and the people that heard him by this point had turned on Jesus not recognizing there truly is the king and this king will come again with his reign lasting forever and this is the king to whom we can and whom we must give all our heart and our soul and our praise and our worship, our very lives as this king gave his life for his people. And as we go through this week, and a week from today is Easter Sunday, or as I like to call it, Resurrection Sunday. It seems a little more specific to me. But Resurrection Sunday, and, and we think about this week and, and the things we normally do and the celebrations we normally have on Easter Sunday, and it's going to look different this year. Things are uncertain. Many events canceled and even family gatherings very small and, and subdued. But even in the midst of this Fear. Even in the midst of this uncertainty, we do have this assurance. Our king reigns. And he will defeat all his and our enemies, even death. 
Paul points that out in, in 1 Corinthians. The last, last enemy to be defeated is death, and he defeats even death. And he will come again, and he will judge the defiant and the unrepentant. He will strike down the nations. He will come, as it says there, the fury, or with the fury of the, of the wrath of God the Almighty, but he also comes to gather his people, his bride, into his everlasting kingdom. And so during this week, as things just don't seem right, and we plan for an Easter celebration, a Resurrection Sunday that just isn't how we normally do it. It's easy for us to be distracted, but I'm reminded again of the words of Kipling, Lord of hosts, be with us yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. Let's never forget our king. And let's not forget, as Kipling said at the end of his poem, thy mercy on thy people, Lord. Thy mercy on us, Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, King of kings and Lord of lords, at your pleasure empires rise and fall. All your works praise you and your servants bless you. Let us be numbered with those invited to the marriage feast. May our affections be holy and heavenly. May our motives be simple and pure, our hearts and our wills submissive to you. We are in constant danger while in this life. Let your watchful eye ever be upon us for our defense. Save us from the power of worldly and spiritual enemies. And from all evils to which we've exposed ourselves, draw us near that we never forget that you may rule over us always and by thy mercy lead us. Guide our hands, our hearts, and our lives in preparation for your glorious feast. And let all worship the true King, the King who created all, the King who brings salvation, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. I do thank you for joining me this morning. I do hope uh, that though things are different and weird that you do take some time and prepare yourselves for a Resurrection Sunday celebration in whatever form that may take. And I will leave you this morning with the words that John wrote right at the end of Revelation. Uh, he's speaking about Jesus and John writes this, he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all.
Amen. Clear? All right.